Welcome to this edition of Toby Heddoke's Who's Round, where we're talking about someone who loves Pat, but for once, it's not Troughton. Tony Caunter. Uh, not that that name would mean anything to anybody, I wouldn't have thought. Um, possibly better known from EastEnders as Roy Evans, but that I think is the only point of reference that you would need. But with regards to Doctor Who, um, I did three series of Doctor Who in my 50-year um, career. Uh, the first one being The Crusades, which was... Um, as I recall, 1965. Yeah. I do. I should remember that because it, my eldest son was born in 1965. And interestingly enough, just received a letter from a Doctor Who fan. And he says himself, um, Crusades is one of the episodes he'd love to see, but it's only partial. And he, um, he said he was born in the year that it was made. So that was an interesting reference, I thought. Very nice. But um, that's the first time I worked on Doctor Who, and I quite enjoyed Doctor Who then because I rather liked the idea of going back in time. I'm not necessarily a great science fiction fan myself, even though I think sometimes you can get some wonderful storylines. But that was um, a short... Two episodes, as I recall. You're, you're in two, yeah, two out of the four. There are two out of the four? Yeah. Two of which are missing, is that right? Yes, yeah, so there's, there's, there's four episodes, two of them are missing, one of yours is missing, and one of yours came back relatively recently, in the past 20 years. Is that right? Is that the one I fluff in? That's the one where you're Thatcher the Thief. Yes, uh, that, and I, I know on, on one occasion I fluffed, and it's still in, because in those days we didn't cut and go again. It was one of those things. So uh, well, and everything's relative because because um, you know William Hartnell was quite famous for, uh, <laughs> for going yeah, around the yeah. houses. Uh, That's right. Uh, and yeah. it was Douglas Canfield directed that. Dougie Canfield, Douglas died, yes, Dougie Canfield, who died young, sadly, mm. yeah, which is very sad. But uh, talking about um, Bill Hartnell, I'm, I was really delighted to work with him because of, he was in one of my favourite films called The Way Ahead. Do you remember it? Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Are you a movie buff too? Uh, well, uh, I'm more of a sort of actor buff. I like watching when we had this conversation before we started. Yeah. Any, anything British with British character acting in really? is my meat and drink. Yeah. yeah. So that's obviously a... Well, he's a wonderful movie. in it yeah. as the drill sergeant. He's absolutely first rate in that. I was quite surprised when I met him because um, he, was, um, he was an interesting an interesting man, rather eccentric in many ways. But um, it was great being able to talk to him about his experience of making this. Was he easy? Because he, he gets a reputation sometimes for being difficult. He, I didn't find him difficult, but uh, I know what you mean. I, I, and I think that was um, because he probably felt a little bit insecure um, mind-wise, you know, with the lines and things like that. But no, I, 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 I liked him. I liked him. I got on quite well with him. 
he seemed to be. I mean, I was only playing a very small part in this, so I didn't have a great deal to do with him, but um, I liked him. And it, I think he quite enjoyed talking about things like The Way Ahead and working with David Niven, script by Peter Ustinov, directed by Carol Reed, you know, great moments. Amazing. Made during the war, of course. But, yeah. um, so I love that. But my next experience of Doctor Who was, um, let me think now, it's 1971, mm -hmm. and that would be Colony in Space. Colony in Space. Then. Where, where, where you were a, a, a last minute replacement. Absolutely for a, right. For yes, right. So do you remember how that goes? Because some accounts say that you were playing another role, and Susan Jameson was taken away for, for reasons of uh, the taste of the BBC head of sales, and you were promoted. But I, I've not necessarily found any paperwork that backs up. So do you remember, were you on the production and promotion? No. Or were you brought in at the last minute? No. As Good. far as I remember, I'm correct. I was brought, as far as I was concerned, um, because it was Michael E. Bryant, mm. and I had worked with Michael, as you say, b b when he was... He was a PA, a PA or whatever, yeah. you know, and um, on Crusades, yeah. And um, no, as far as I was concerned, um, it came as quite a surprise to me, and I think the first time I realised, in fact, that originally the part of Morgan had been written for a woman was... Um, when I read it, I think online or something like that, I was very surprised. I had no idea until really recently that it was Susan Jameson. So mm -hmm. I thought, oh, she's quite a big name, you know, so it was rather strange. Well, I don't think it, I think it had been written for a man and cast as a woman as a nice idea. Oh, I go, see. Let's have a part that's been written as a man, but, but play a woman and play against ideas of femininity and stuff. And ah. then it was vetoed at the top as being too That's English. right. I think for that time, it was, oh no, she, this is too much for a word. I mean, nowadays it's a nonsense at all. But um, it was great fun doing it because we did it mainly in Cornwall. A lot of filming in the um, tin mines and clay pits of Cornwall. And John Pertwee was great to work with. Nothing died. And we had a lot of fun. It was a space western, let's be honest. I mean, it's cowboys and Indians, really. You had to drive them around a lot on a... On a yeah. Well, I mean, that was typical. There was um, very little um, rehearsal for driving the, uh, these things. And in fact, I do recall the first time I had to do it, I was staring and um, John was changing gear. <laughs> I do remember that. Well, he'll have liked that anyway. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, he did. <laughs> and I was very interested to note that I was looking, as I said, I was looking at um, episode number two, and in one of the, um, I think it's when he comes in with Bernie Kay, and he is driving the little vehicle, and Bernard's his passenger, even though Bernie was the, um, one of the mining experts, you know, he was the good guy in it, Yeah, Bernard Kay. Well, Bernie, uh, Bernie, was, Bernie was very cross about that, and he said he... He, he said that was John Pertwee wanting to drive. Oh, really? And, and, and it made no sense. It didn't. That a prisoner would drive. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I was, when I looked at that myself, I thought, well, this is very strange. Um, but I thought, well, well, I just, I, I, I would agree with Bernard. I think he's absolutely right. Because Bernard had been in the Crusade as well. So I'd forgotten that. Yeah, you know. he's Salad in the Crusade. That's right. So. I've totally forgotten that. Yeah. It's only... Um, when I was looking back through things, I realised that Bernard had been in that, because we did a number of things together. Got to know each other rather well. Fine actor. Fine actor, yeah. Sadly, no longer with us. No, I'm, I'm yes, very sad. Mm. His funeral 
Oh, really? I knew him quite well. We got to know him very well. Did then. you? Yeah, yeah. 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 I saw him in November. He died on Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. I saw him in November and he was, um, he, he just wanted to act. That's all he wanted to do. Really? How old was Bernard then? 86. Still wanted to do it? Yeah. Funny, I don't miss it at all. <laughs> Funny, I, I called it a day when I was, oh, I was in 72, 73. And um, my kids all thought, oh my God, now I'm giving up. This, this is no good. We won't be able to live with him after this because we'll miss it so much. I don't miss it at all. Don't miss it at all. I loved it whilst I did it. Mm. Absolutely adored it. But um, I don't know why. I think I'm probably far too lazy as an individual to get on this stuff. I think I'm quite happy not having to get up at six o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> right. mm. But um, Bernard decided it's a heck of a cast. Nicholas Pennell. And right, Nick, who went to Canada. Yeah, and um, John Ringham and Maurice Perry. So of they're, course. They're yeah. names to Canada. Yeah. Morris still with us, of course. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's right. He's ninety. He's just turned ninety. Dear me. Yeah, we had we had some great times on that um, during that series. I must say, it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. And how was Mike? What, what do you remember of, of uh, Michael as a director then, in terms of how he works? Michael, very straightforward. Very, um, um, very good with actors. Um, very undemanding, um, but very good. Just got on with the job. I find that with most directors, television directors, there are very few who um, really enthuse you as an actor, to be absolutely honest. It's a question of, you know, they think, okay, you know your job, I know my job, let's go on and do it. It's as simple as that. It's very much as like working, I've done a number of, um, in my younger days, things like The Saint and Department S and things like that and you're aware that it's very much an industry in a way you're you're working with directors who in lots of cases I mean that people like Leslie Norman and people like that who come up through editing and that sort of thing who um an industry is the right word they um treat it um it's just a job of work let's get on let's do it we've got to meet schedules and um, make certain you know your lines hit your marks then get on with it so very few that you suddenly find you're in a situation of um, really having to... They, they don't offer a hell of a lot to an actor in terms of, have you thought of doing it this way? Have you thought of doing it that way? They tend to accept what you offer. And as long as it's ac acceptable to them, then that's fair enough. You get on and do it, you know. Because generally, you're running out of time. This is the problem. This is why it was nice to work with someone like John Gorry. Yeah. Um, we talked about him earlier. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he had time because he was working on different material. And so um, you were very aware that as an actor, there was an actor-director, more like a theatrical relationship, you know, so that you had time to build parts and change parts and think of approaching things in different ways, which is always quite rather interesting. But one generally was cast of the type. You'd played the role in various ways before. You know, um, I mean, Morgan, for example, you could easily take him out and make him squatting in the army somewhere, nasty piece of work or whatever. But that's all very much what people have seen you do before, because that's why you're cast. If you look right, then that's why they put you in. Which is, I guess, leads us to um, to being a sailor of, a, of, a, of an intergalactic spaceship. Uh, yes, indeed. Which I did enjoy very much, too. I, I, 
I love the whole idea of that. Um, we're now talking about the Enlightenment, yeah. aren't we? And I thought that was, of all of the three I worked on, that was the most interesting script for me. Mm -hmm. um, I thought I loved the whole idea. And it's quite a surprise when you realise that their marionettes being manipulated by the gods, as it were. You yeah. know, and it, so I, and I quite enjoyed the experience. I enjoyed, the writing was quite good, I thought. Um, I went with Fiona Cumming on yes. that one, who sadly is no longer Indeed, with us yes. recently. She died a week after Bernard, actually. She died in, in, Jan in, in January. It's, first, all, it's all this year, isn't it? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, and it, um, but it's interesting, looking back over my diaries and things of that period, I find that we were beset quite often by industrial problems. Yes. And that in particular, I think that we, we started shooting and then had to stop it and remount and everything like that. It was nearly cancelled. I mean, you lost two cast members. You lost Peter Salis uh, playing. That's Captain right. And Keith Barron came in and did it. And Keith there. Barron came in. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Keith. Did you, do you have an opinion, because uh, actors are all members of a, of a union, equity, did you, there seemed to be a lot of strike action at the Beeb at the time, was that something, there was. Was that something you, you had an opinion on in terms of how it impacted um, on your work? I'm not, I'm not a great one for striking because, <laughs> um, you know, as an actor it's hard enough to get the work in any case, but in actual fact I have to be honest and say that when I first came into the business, after I'd had my, my stint, I was in the RAF for a time because I had to go in because I was called up, and though I'd signed on uh, as a regular so that I could say when I came in and when I could come out so that I could go back to Lambda. I was at drama school at the time and split my course. But when I came out, I, I worked in children's theatre and then in weekly rep and then fortnightly rep and then I did extra work and gradually, gradually, gradually started to get small parts. And at that time, there was a strike, an actor's strike, when they were striking for more money. And what happened is that I came in and at the right time, because there I was a new face who was quite prepared to work for whatever the minimum would be then. And um, actors who would have been like myself maybe 20 years later who were better established, middle of the road sort of people, suddenly found that they'd virtually priced themselves out. Sadly, cast got a lot smaller we're, we're in Thatcher land now, of course. This is the problem fighting the unions, and it came right the way through. And there was a lot of unrest. I mean, I, I did, I found in one occasion, I was doing completely out of the blue. I was offered a part in a play because there was a strike, and a very fine actor had been offered the part, and he had to leave because he had other commitments. I was brought in, and then lo and behold, I was recast because there was another strike and I'd accepted another job thinking the strike was going to carry on and of course it finished. So it, it was a, a wild sort of period, all these 70s and 80s, you know, it was, um, it was not good from an actor's point of view but as I say, the initial unrest that happened, well this was in the 60s, early 70s, um, I think were quite fortuitous as far as I was concerned. I think I got work because I suddenly w was able to take the place of other actors who were better known, who suddenly found themselves, priced them out of the market, which was sad from their point of view. It's not a conscious thing, obviously, it's mm. just the way it happened. Mm. But when I'm, if I'm honest with myself, I think this did lead to me getting more work than possibly I would have had 
sort of thing. But from a striking point of view, I'm always sad and when it comes to the point when it's them and us. And um, I think actors as a breed, we tend to be nervous of being out of work. And so I think we don't like to cause waves as far as we're concerned. But I've always been an equity member and back equity. And I would go along with the equity ruling on something like that. So when it came to a point when one had to make a stand, one did. But it, albeit um, grudgingly. But Enlightenment survived, which some Doctor Who stories in the past haven't saved. It did. So you, you it know, did. And, and it is one of the most beguiling of, uh, uh, of, of Doctor Who's uh, outings, because it, it does have that strangeness to it. Yet um, the Doctor, Peter Davison, was the youngest up to that point. That's right. I remember working with him That's as right. Peter. Not a great deal, really. I, I, I liked him enormously. He was very nice, very, very easy to work with. And um, I don't recall a great deal about doing that season, actually. It um, seemed to come and go. It was a quite a busy period for me, mm. round about that period, and I was quite surprised to be going back, to be asked to do another Doctor Who, yeah. you know, eleven years later. Yeah. Um, because I'd done other things, other series, and usually when you're in other series and things like that, people don't tend to think about you in other things. But um, I, it was a quite a busy period for me. Well, it's funny because what's always struck me about you is you, you're somebody that I think is. Yourself down early when you said people wouldn't know the name. Certainly, people, I, I would have you down as one of those I know the face, but yes, so that, well, that might be true. Yeah, not that, but but I, mm. you wore as a name in our house, but um, my house was full of character actors' names. So, mm -hmm. but no, I, I. But what what interests me about you is that is that you see you sometimes in something like Juliet Bravo, where you were a regular character and mm -hmm. you know, second lead, as mm -hmm. than the ones that you're in because you're the senior officer. But then you seem quite happy to pop into an episode of the professionals and play a barman for a couple Absolutely of years. Absolutely right. And mm. so there's, there seems to be no ego about your no. career at all. No. If, if you're available, you've done it. Has yeah. that been the case? Yes. Yes. And um, <laughs> always there was that moment because um, I found that after I'd been in the business for, say, 20 odd years, um, scripts came through the post. It was not a question of having to go up for the jobs. They just came through and they, the agent would phone and say, oh, they'd like you to do this or that. And generally, if I was available, I would say yes. I turned down, I should think about four things in my 50-year career. But I tended to believe that an actor's job, particularly a supporting actor, which is what I am or was, is just to work. And uh, it's rather, I think I would have loved the Hollywood system, you see. I would have loved to have been a contract player with Warner Brothers or something like that. Because if you look at somebody like Alan Hale, for example, great, great actor. And sometimes you'd see him in a film and he'd just, you know, two scenes and another time he's um, one of the leading parts in it. And uh, I always looked upon myself, not that I would equate myself with somebody as famous as Hale, but that sort of actor, just a jobbing actor. Get on there, do the job. They want you to do this. One minute you're a cafe proprietor, the next minute you're a chief inspector, next minute you're an air commodore, and then you're a squaddy, you know, and it's great. And what it meant is that generally, with a few exceptions, one kept putting the bread on the table. It was as simple as that. And I didn't find, and I think this is the thing with being a supporting actor, not a leading actor, that it affected other work. 
what it did is I think sometimes it brought the face back on the screen and, and a director might be watching something or a casting director or whatever and think, oh, Tony, oh yeah, well, can't, yes, he'd be right for that part. And it happened to be that it's um, six episodes of a ten-part series and they're pretty good episodes as well. And you just think, well, thank you very much. And the fact, I, so I've never worried about doing other things. A few, a few times, just a few times. I remember I did a film called The Hill. Well, I was getting one of my favourite films of all time. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real spin. cough and a spit. Yeah. In that. Howard, Howard Gorney. Howard yeah. Gorney. Poor Howard, who passed out on the set. because It was 100 and, I think about 120 degrees out there in full kit. And I, typical actor, you know, Howard's passed out. And I thought, oh, great. I think I'll get another couple of weeks out of this. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> but of course, they brought him round. <laughs> Gave me salt tablets, and um, <laughs> and that was it. But um, it's it's a funny thing uh, about acting, and you see, working on that with Sidney Lumet, it was a charming man. I I'd been on Broadway, you see. I, I did chips with everything on Broadway. I was originally after doing it at the Royal Court, and I was doing a tour of a play called Ross about Lawrence of Arabia. With that, uh, Alec Guinness had done in the West End, and then Michael Bryant did it on the tour. And typically, I'd been up for the audition for the other thing, heard nothing, and um, was cast in Ross, which was a six-week tour. And lo and behold, up came the Royal Court and said, "We'd like you to do Chips with Everything in the West End." And I wasn't available. I didn't have an agent at the time. I got these things through personal contacts and things. And um, so I thought, oh, well, that's it, I've had that. And lo and behold, I worked at the Royal Court after that, working with John Dexter in Plays for England by John Osborne. And whilst I was there, I realised that they were going to mount uh, another production um, that was going to America. So I put myself up for it. And it was one of those wonderful occasions when John Dexter was not the easiest of men. He could be... Um, it could be very, very hard, very tough. Mm -hmm. But at other times, it could be totally, totally charming. And I remember I had worked for him. And when I was working for him on the John Osborne plays, he did say to somebody, he said, you know this man turned me down for chips and everything. And I said, no, 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 John, I didn't turn you down. I was doing something else, you know. But that was just the moment. And so I put myself up for it. Turned up um, fully expecting to do the um, audition. And he just came straight up to me and he said, no, 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 I don't need you to audition for me. Uh, the two parts um, that I'd like you to play, the better part is the flight sergeant, which is flight sergeant, drill instructor. Uh, depends, it's on offer to the actor who played it before. It's the part you would have played earlier, uh, but if he wants to do it, then he will do it. But you take a, a lesser part that subsequently went to Chris Timothy, ah. in actual fact. And um, as it was, the other actor... Um, didn't want to go to America, so I got the job, and it was great. Sidney Lumet saw Chips with Everything, thought it was great, and lo and behold, when I went to see him about the hill, I naturally rang in things like that, and he said, oh, I saw that, wonderful. And he said, after, he said, I don't normally do this, you know, I don't cast stuff like that, but I got the part. Great. Purely for that. You know, so, and as you know, it's a very small part that was shot all in one morning. I mean, it was a lengthy morning because, as I say, Howard passed out and had to be brought round. And um, 
then we finished it and if he, if he was a man who just shot like that didn't rehearse bang 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 or he did rehearse he rehearsed with his leading actors first but when it came to the shoot very quickly and um it's a fantastic it's a, film it's a great film i think yeah. i think it's a splendid film one of the best things connery ever did I think. yes yeah he's terrific harry andrews harry extraordinary. harry wonderful uh, wonderful cast wonderful Neil McCarthy, another top Neil McCarthy, absolutely right. There it is again. But that's back to this thing about turning down work. Later on, he made made another film over here called The Offence. Yes. With Connery. Connery and he, yeah, uh, yeah. he offered me a tiny, tiny little part in it. I don't think there's any dialogue in it. And I turned it down. Because normally I would have just done it just to pay the, the rent, you know. But I thought, no, I liked working with him so much. It would have been awful to be there but not be there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I thought, no, I, I, I wouldn't want to do that. So I said no to that. And strangely enough, the other, uh, the other, other director, Jack Gold, who's recently died, yeah. whom I worked with two or three times, super, super man. And he once came through with a part. Um, and it was really, th there was no dialogue. There was, it was not a part. It was really like an extra in a sense. Out of loyalty, they would he would offer it. You know, it was just something that was going. Thought I looked right, and that's when I thought no, no, it was out, there wasn't any anything to do with ego or no, no, don't disappear. It's just I, I didn't want to work in that situation. Sure. You know, I wanted I wanted if I'm going to work with people like that, I want to work. I don't want to just be an also ran. If you yeah, understand, something to engage. And that would be the reason. Yeah, that would yeah. be my reason. That's the only reason. So how did you get there? What was your background? Was there any was there any theatre in your in your background? Yes, my mother and my grandmother both on the stage, in musicals and things like this. They did um, uh, seaside things, you know, reviews and all that sort of thing that was very prevalent in the twenties and thirties. And it's strange enough, my mother died when I was young. She was only forty two. Sadly, and I never ever had a chance to talk to her about her stage career. My grandmother brought me up, and she was the one who really got me interested in acting and everything. And later, talking to an aunt, she did say to me, because she'd obviously known my mother when she was a young woman, she said, You realize your mother never wanted to be in the musical thing, she wanted to be a straight actress, but was never allowed to be because I think her, her mother was quite a strong sort of lady, my grandmother. And um, and I thought it was rather interesting, but that's where it comes from. I, I did my first amateur work when I was 12 years old and got the bug and never wanted to do anything else. No, well, fortunately you didn't need to. Well, I was that. very lucky. I was terribly lucky. I mean, it's just the way it happened. I went to London when I was 17. And apart from that three year break when I had to go into the Air Force, um, then I finished at Lander, then in the, as I said, Children's Theatre Rep and everything else. Just an actor all my life. I've never had to do anything else. Never had to do another Never job. had to do any other job. That's a, that's a pretty good... Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm, uh, as I say, I'm so lucky. So lucky um, to, be, to be able to say that. And it really into telly with things like No Hiding Place and yes. Cars and yes, yes. things like that. So, I mean... And you did United as well. United, which nothing wow. exists. Frankly. I know, I know. They wiped it. They needed the tape or something. So what? The, I yeah. mean, was because I was getting the impression that those early days of television, that there was a certain amount of um, 
you know, was it was it ever was it going to take off? Was it a proper medium for acting? I mean, how, how did was it something that you wanted to break into, or or did it happen by accident or slowly? Or did no, you television, television, yeah, television and film. I've always, I, mean, I I love theatre work. I did quite a bit of theatre work, particularly obviously in my repertory days and things like that. And every so often it was great to go back into reps. I worked at Windsor quite a lot and things like that. But overall, I, I love being in television and film. I love the whole way it works. It really does appeal to me and I have no desire. In fact, in my younger days, I was asked if I wanted to go to the RSC to, um, I think it was to play Charles the Wrestler and things like this, you know, and, and and I thought, no, the thought of being in a big company like that, month after month, and your family life, I, I think, must just go out of the window, as far as I'm concerned. So I've always been a family man as well, you see. And television, particularly television, because film, I've only touched the, the edges of the film, really. I've done, I've done a few but nothing of any great consequence in terms of my part in it. But um, television, no. Television was a proper career in that sense. And I did a number of series and things. Like well, that. I was thinking that because you, you've got, I mean, your, your CV is so full of being in one thing and mm, out and in. Mm, and, all mm. and then there was the, all our Saturdays with... Yeah, Ryan with Di <laughs> yeah. How was that? So oh, was great. That, was that maybe your first sort of... No, Queenie's Castle was Queenie, my first. Of course. Queenie, Queenie was Castle. die, you see. That's yeah. how, uh, that, that's a great story because um, she was married to Alan Lake at the time and I didn't know this, but I went up for a part. In, I don't know what part I would have gone up for, quite frankly, in Queenie's Castle and didn't hear anything. And then um, one day my agent of the time, Peter Brown, telephone he said um be prepared to pack your bags on friday um because they're talking about you replacing alan lake and i said alan why is he well alan is cast as the brother-in-law with dying he was married to die at the time and i said why and he said well he's been involved in a fight in a pub and he's in court and it depends what sort of sentence he gets and uh, literally at about two o'clock on the Friday afternoon, the telephone rang. It was my agent saying, pack your bag, you're up to Leeds. Alan got a year inside. <laughs> that was literally how I got there. It's awful, isn't it? Awful. So I thought, my God, it's the part of the brother-in-law, which is a very good part. Um, and it's written by Willis Hall, of course, yeah. you know, which is... And it's one of those. So, and I rolled up at Yorkshire Television, which is the one I... Went into the uh, dressing room the following morning, and there was Diana there, sitting there, tears streaming down her face, mascara down, <laughs> and uh, she was couldn't be more lovely, you know. And there's her husband just being put inside for a year, having to work, but she was a trooper through and through. I mean, she was great, and we got very close. It was great fun. And when they did all our Saturdays, which was not very good. But there again, that, that I think is purely by chance. I mean, I was doing something else in Leeds for the BBC. I was filming a play and um, I popped along to Yorkshire Telly, as one does, <laughs> you know. And there was the producer sitting there. And um, he suddenly looked, he said, oh, Johnny, yeah, you, you'd be good in that. Yeah. Oh, and next thing I knew is there was a phone call and... I'd been cast in All Our Saturdays, didn't know a thing about it. The scripts were hardly finished. 
And Diana, of course, it was Queenie writ large. She, um, she wanted to posh herself up a bit. And she had a coterie of rugby players. It was all about a rugby team. It, it wasn't very good. But um, so I managed to work with her on four separate blocks, four different yeah, series. And um, oh, and you did. Uh, this is something that's been talked about in this this podcast before, because the producer was George Galaccio. Who oh, George, did, yes. Did Robin Hood in the Friar Tuck. Good Lord, yes, yes. What did George have to say? Well, um, <laughs> uh, it's it's because it's a it's it's a it's a character actor watcher's dream because you're in it. William Marlowe's in it. John Abenary is yeah, in it. Um, yeah. But Martin Potter. Martin Potter as uh, Robin Hood. As Robin Hood, yeah. Um, <laughs> that was an interesting word to work up because my great idol as far as I'm is Errol Flynn. Yeah. I love Flynn. And um, needless to say, you know, I mean, I did look through jaundiced eyes at, at Martin. He's a sweet, sweet man. And I thought well, he looked perfect, looked perfect. But he, he made Robin a, a sort of a, a holy, religious sort of character and kept getting down on his knees for some strange reason. And, then, and I just kept saying, get up off your knees. <laughs> <laughs> but we all got on tremendously well. It was great, great fun to work on. But there were, I think, production problems on that. I actually think John and George maybe would have mentioned that. I don't know. Yeah, if yeah. they were director. And, and Jax was a lovely guy. And they, I, th I think we did tend to fall into two camps, in actual fact, them and us, which was sad. I have seen part of it since, and it, it really doesn't hold up, I don't think. It's terribly slow. The action is very poor. I think they need to spend twice as much money on it, to be absolutely honest with you. And since then, we've had so many Robin Hoods and things, haven't mm. we, that uh, it really um, doesn't work. But I, having said that, I did enjoy playing Tuck, because um, it was... It was a very interesting part. I thought it was quite well written, and I enjoyed. I mean, the moment it was offered, I mean, the director phoned me um, about it, and um, he said, "Well, I think of doing Robin Hood. Is there a part you'd like to play in it?" I immediately said, "Well, I'd like to play Will Scarlet or something like that." He said, "Well," and I was thinking, "It's tough." And I thought, "Tough?" I said, "I might be fat, but I'm not that fat." <laughs> and he said, "Well." Ah, but don't forget, you see, don't, they're all, there aren't laws, they're all in living right there. He, he wouldn't have been that, not like Lugine Pellet yeah. in um, the Robin Hood. So I said, oh, so he talked me into it. He said, I see him as more Shakespearean in a way. <laughs> Very clever. <laughs> but uh, I enjoyed it. I, did, I, did, I enjoyed working on it. It was good fun. I was, I was just editing one of these with a film cameraman called Paul Wheeler. A ball, um, yes. Yeah, who, who remembered film, talking to you about Blake Seven. Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, you spend a lot of time roaming around on the floor. A lot of time dying. Yeah. A lot of time dying. Not one of my favourite experiences, I have to be honest. It's, it's something the kids always, whenever I get a bit big-headed, the kids just quietly say, uh, Blake Seven, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> to let me know where I stand. Well, well the story he tells, uh, reflects very well on you, which probably, well, I don't know if you would tell it or remember, but he said... Um, you were supposed to be rolling around on the floor, sort of muttering oh, gobbledygook. Oh, oh, yes, that's right. And yeah. do you remember what you actually said? Orac, I seem to remember. Yeah, but he, right. said, he said at one point, you, you were saying, call my agent. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> yes. When, it, when yes. it was, you know... Yes, yeah, yeah, who do you have to, to get out of this movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
like that. And that's, <laughs> that that is, would be very true. Yes, that would be very true. Paul, super, super guy. Paul, oh, Paul Wheeler. Yeah, yeah, great, great film cameraman. Very good. Amazing film cameraman. With some, with some, with some really good guys. Yeah. Well, I suppose I should, and uh, I suppose that's taking up too much time. I should, um, I should let you talk to me about some of the jobs that that you've preferred, having led you to various places. What are, what are, what are the ones that you? Well, one, I'm interested that you you looked at stuff of yours. How do you how do you find that? And I guess they fall into two camps. What are the jobs that you maybe looked at that you thought that holds up well and that was good? And which are the ones that you enjoyed particularly and felt you did your best work? Uh, well, of course, one has to mention EastEnders, of course, because nine years, uh, you have a chance to really work on a character. Having said that, the fascinating thing about working on a soap opera is the fact that it's not like a normal drama, is it? There's no beginning, middle and end. Because it never ends, it just goes on. And consequently, within that framework, you get different producers coming along, executive producers, and they all have different ideas about um, what the character is and where he's going and things like this. And so the fascinating thing I found in playing somebody like Evans, Roy Evans, is the fact that at the beginning, of course, he's a highly successful businessman. He comes in. And he, I was only intended to be in it for five months, in actual fact. They brought me in as a replacement for Mike Reed. Mm. Mike didn't want to come back in. They brought in this character purely for Pam Sinclair to give her a boyfriend. And then, as I say, Mike got to the point where he didn't want to come back. And by then, Roy had sort of got his feet under the table. And I said, oh, let's keep him going. So they gave me another contract then another contract and by then about two years later mike decided he would like to come in because he's very frank with me very honest mike reed he said that um doing his comedy routine you know which is took around the theaters and things like this by being in eastenders it used to build his profile and um he found that it was starting to drop and so he came back in because he thought it was good for business mm -hmm. And by then, of course, it was very good because he came back and Roy's there. And so it really worked for me in that sense. So this is where somebody else's decision did me a lot of good. And that's the nature of the business, isn't it? So often your work is tied up with other people. It's nothing to do with you at all. It's just the way it happens to work out with somebody else's decision to do something or not. The same thing happened on Juliet Bravo when Stephanie left. They thought, oh, well, how are we going to write her out? She wanted to leave, wanted to go on to other things. And um, they thought, oh, she can go off with Logan. He, he will get promoted and take her with him. So I thought, oh, great. I don't want to go. <laughs> but, yeah. but he did. So um, out you go. You know, so it's not your decision at the end of the day. But that was one I loved. I did love working on that. And it, it was interesting because the point is another producer came in and because suddenly this character who was only coming in for a few months he becomes a regular, and now what are we going to do with him? And suddenly he had to, from being a successful businessman um, and um, having all the contacts in the world, um, suddenly he becomes an unsuccessful businessman. And that's interesting to play because mm. as an actor, you know, you try to keep things as, as honest as you can. It's as James Cagney always said, look him straight in the eye and tell the truth. And I think that's the best note to any actor it's that's right you need to keep it as truthful as you can and um, 
and then you have to justify it to yourself the way you're behaving. And so I worked it out at the end of the day that Roy was not the great successful businessman that he thought he was. He'd just been terribly, terribly lucky. And then suddenly, when things changed around, suddenly he realised that he wasn't quite what it was. And that justified it to me. And then I could play what I had to play, which was a man falling apart. You know? And you actually, you, you, I mean, you're, you're one of the longest running... I know, I was amazed. I was amazed by that. When I read that, I read that something, I'm not certain was that the, I don't know. 12 or 13. Yeah, it was the ninth longest. I think now somebody's been in a bit longer than me. I was amazed by that. I really was. It surprised me, but then I was talking to Peter about it on the way here. And of course, I remember you coming in and I was still living with my mum. And I remember you leaving and I was with the mother of my children. So that means... You've been through my whole university career. Yes, it's very strange. But I, I mean, I've always felt that um, with EastEnders, there was what I would call the Premier League of the actors. Um, just that few, the chosen few, who virtually called the shots, as it were. And then um, I found that um, I was in what I would call in... I, I, I moved into... Um, sort of the first first division as actors, you know, and then you get your second division. But at the end of the day, you're very much a pawn that you, they move you around and it's everything. It was not my decision to leave EastEnders, you see. Right. But I had got to the point where I was disappointed with some of the storylines and I thought they didn't develop certain storylines that I felt they could have. The fact that his girlfriend from the past comes into it and they bump her off within a few weeks and I thought, well, what a waste. Got this character. Like the Mitchell. Yeah, character, that's yeah. right. He's come back in as somebody, somebody else. else yeah. That's right. Absolutely right. And I thought, what a waste. You, you could have had marvellous scenes between her and Pam. Yeah. Um, and, and I thought, well, you know, that, that disappointed me. So by the time I'd finished, I was prepared to go. But it was ultimately, you never turn down the money, do you? You just want to keep working. But um, when it did happen, I very quickly accepted it and thought, great, that's all right. It's time to go, because I was in my 70s then. I thought, yeah. And then I did a, a, a few odds and sods, and um, that was it. But yeah. as you, we, we, we mentioned earlier, you, you, you decided, what, what, what made you decide to stop then and just draw a line? I just got to the point where I wasn't enjoying it anymore. I'd got to the point where I, I felt the, the scripts were not as good, and it seemed to me that, the things, the few things I did that nobody seemed to care very much about it. And um, so this is why I do think the business has changed in that sense. And um, I think it is, it's, it's very much, there's no career structure anymore except for the chosen few. And uh, I think I was very lucky in coming into it when I did. Because there was still some sort of structure, then there were still weekly reps all over the place for a start. There aren't there anymore, you know. But anyway, we came back. You were the play I did um, called The Vanishing Army was the piece, a play I did that I really enjoyed. That that was a splendid piece, and that was directed by Richard Longcrane. Going back to you saying, what did you enjoy doing? Yes, I loved I loved being in United because it's the first chance I'd had of regular work, to be honest. And I enjoyed the playing Dick Mitchell. I worked with Gene Kent on that, would you believe? And uh, Gene, I mean. From Gainsborough Pictures and all this stuff, Margaret Lockwood, Stuart Granger, Gene Kent, Phyllis Talbot, you know, great. 
Um, so that, that was very enjoyable. I've done some stage work that I enjoyed very much, and some eight-form plays and things like that. But I've always enjoyed comedies. I do love comedies. Um, but I'd love to have done a, a lot more of that, really. Um, War and Peace is a piece I did that I enjoyed. John Davis. John Davis, yeah. excellent. Yeah, it was the, uh, was, wasn't it, didn't they, he did all 26 episodes. I know. Episodes. Absolutely incredible. He's, incredible. he's done this process, and Margot Hayhoe was the... And Margot. Uh, was the, uh, was the PA, uh, and she's PM. done this That's well. right, yeah. yeah, he worked a lot with Margot. Yeah. John, lovely, super director. I mean, not a not a huge part, but I was involved with it for weeks upon weeks, and those were the marvellous days at the BBC when they paid you retainers and things like that. Expenses, I mean, you didn't, you know, your pay packet went straight in the bank. You'd go along and pick up your expenses, and that's what you lived on. Those days have long gone. Yeah. You know, sadly. I mean, I understand why. Where it's different is the fact that in those days, if you got a repeat, you got the full repeat again. And if it went to America, 125%. Thank you very much. But there were few and far between. But nowadays, with the royalties, you get tuppence halfpenny there and maybe a shilling there and whatever there. But ultimately, you put it together and it gives you a little extra pension in its own way. So overall, it's better for actors, I think. The fact that there's a royalty scheme is better for it. So, but um, that th these are where things have changed. I mean, I used to love the early days because you'd roll up at the Acton Hilton, as we called it, and uh, you'd all be in various rehearsal rooms there. You'd meet up with all the old mates. Uh, if you're playing small parts, you'd spend most of your time in the green room playing cards. And then come out and do your little bit, and then every so often you get your runs. And then you'd be in the studio for a day, or two days, three days, depending upon the size of the production. And you got paid according to the production. If it ran for half an hour, you're on a category, category one. Two, and if it ran for an hour, category two. If it ran for over that, it was category three. And you got three times your fee. And I remember working on one production, I think it was... PQ-17, play all about the great disasters during the war was in the, in the Arctic convoy, based on fact. And um, that was a, I enjoyed working on that. And um, I think it ran something like an hour and three minutes. And immediately one got another third of one's salary. Really? Didn't do anything. <laughs> it just said, oh, it ran over, so you get it. Um, I enjoyed that much. Some, I know that there are various people that one enjoyed working with particularly. John Franco is one I remember. And uh, producers, I wonder now he's lost in the midst of time nowadays, but some of them that you really enjoyed working with. Very, very few occasions that I've not enjoyed working. Sometimes that, as I say, a little bit bland, that they seem to come and go and I think back to various things. I think of, I think I'm right in saying I did something like 435 episodes of EastEnders at the end of the day. And I remember looking through um, my notes and things and I look at the names and I think, who the hell was that? And that doesn't mean anything to me. Others stick straight out at you, you know, including some really well-known people, people like um, Hooper, yeah, and look at King's Speech. Oh. Remember the director? Tom Hooper. Tom, Tom, Tom Hooper. Hooper. Tom Hooper. He directed us on EastEnders. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the same director, same name. It can't be, can it? No, be? no. 
I mean, a number, a number of times you suddenly look and you think, wow, when you see, suddenly see an American series yeah. and their name is there. And you think, right, they've moved on. And others just disappeared in the nick of time. Yeah, Are you still, do you still have mates in the business? Are you still in touch with them? Um, very, very, very few. With Pam, Pam St. Clement, I do, and uh, Sean, occasionally, Sean, Sean Williamson. Um, but no, I mean, I'm, my dearest mate is a chap I was in rap with, and he was the um, lighting chap then. He's a um, lighting designer in Weekly Rap, and he's my best mate. Well, look, I've over, I've overstepped the time I said I would uh, spend with you. Well, I hope you've got enough there. Oh, it's been absolutely fantastic. I just really? have the last two uh, questions. Well, unless yeah. I, can, can, I must ask about Juliet Bravo, because I have to say, I watched it, um, I watched it back, and I remembered it as being... You know, Saturday night telly. That's what you know. Saturday night police procedural on the telly, mm. and I and I got a few of them because I like to see Juliet, and it's brilliant. It's very high quality. Mm. Um, I love the two desk scientists, David Edison yeah, they, and Laura Collins. Yes, excellent, excellent. Um, and that, that was a good, it was a good show. Are they both still with us? No, neither they? of them. Neither. No. They're both going with me, but um, yeah, excellent. I thought it was very high quality. I. I, to be honest with you, I thought I was slightly miscast in it because uh, I'm not a Yorkshireman, and, I, and my my accent. Well, it's because it's, it's unusual to see you play in the Northern. Mm, um, mm. I I think you do it really well. But well, well, thank you. <laughs> but, but, it, but it's not. But it's not. The, I was quite surprised. No, I, I tend to play Londoners, Cockneys, yeah. that sort of thing. A few, a, a few. Um, I remember doing a, a, a show called Farmer's Arm which is one of these wonderful plays um, in West Country there. And um, they're all on film, you know. They're, they're, they're like making little movies, you know. They're great. Um, but they never seem to do anything very much. Did Hutchback of Notre Dame. Yeah. All in the studio. It was a complete studio production. Can't think of it. Alan, not Alan Bridges. Um, very well-known director. There were names, names they just gave. But with Warren, Warren Clark, you know. And Warren Peace, of course, Tony Hopkins. Yeah. Great. Everyone did Warren Peace. Oh, I mean, ter terrific cast, terrific. He was great. He was going mad because we filmed it in, not maybe Poland, that was another one I did. Um, there was uh, Yugoslavia. That's right, not Yugoslavia. And it was still, you know, very much post war sort of feel about it. And we were held up because of the weather. We, they went there for snow and there was no snow. And so we were all, people like myself, playing small parts. He was out doing other things. And, but he was, he was gradually going mad. But we had lots of laughs, lots of laughs. In this awful hotel. Awful hotel. Terrible food. But it was quite an experience. Oh, well, yeah. this has been fantastic. Let me mm. ask you the final two questions. The first of which is, as viewers know by now, you haven't been paid, nor have I, nor have they paid a penny to listen to this, so we ask them instead to donate to a charity. What's your charity, Tony? Um, Deborah, it is called. D-E-B-R-A. Don't ask me to tell you what it's for. It's a name like MB... They call them the butterfly children. These poor children who... Well, some adults have still got this, where... Layers of skin don't form, and they're in terrible pain. Fortunately, there are very few of them, but it is... When I was in EastEnders, I was asked if I would 
do a catholic charity things for them and i became involved with it in, in a very small way and so this is um, if anybody is willing to i would love them to send a contribution to deborah d-e-b-r-a deborah as we know if everyone who listens to this gives a quid we do a, a, a sizable amount for charity so please do listeners uh, and the final question is this this podcast was originally conceived as a foolhardy idea to celebrate 50 years of doctor who it's one of many, many things that you've done, but it still seems to be watched and consumed um, even after, I mean, it's nearly 50 years since you were first in it. So Indeed. what's your message to the Doctor Who fans out there, Tim? Right. To the Doctor Who fans is really keep watching. This is the main thing because it still pays the rent, you know. <laughs> well, and the rent in the beautiful house in which we've been uh, kindly housed for the duration of this. So your hospitality and for your conversation and for entering into this foolhardy project with such gusto. Tony Corte, thank you very much. My pleasure, thank you. That was great, thank you very much. I hope that was okay for you. Great, very good. Very good. Very good. I hope there wasn't too much noise for the kitchen. My thanks to Tony for letting us into his home and what a lovely guy and to my friend Peter uh, who drove us there otherwise it never would have happened because I'm no driver uh, but I thought it was worth the journey to go and see Mr Cornter who's not on any of his Doctor Who DVDs so I hope you've rectified a big gap there. Uh, his charity is Deborah. Uh, do take a look at the website. Uh, it does put things in perspective when you see children suffering from terrible conditions. So anything you could spare at Deborah, D-E-B-R-A dot org dot UK, D-E-B-R-A dot org dot UK. Ta-ta. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. You two, you're the future of Torchwood. Torchwood One, before the fall. They've been coming to us for years, but we've been kept in the dark. Rachel, you know what we do here, don't you? On the 31st of December, 1879, Queen Victoria issued a charter creating the Torchwood Institute. An organisation dedicated to defending Great Britain against alien invasion. Hold still! I've got my gun! Over a century later, Torchwood is based here, in Canary Wharf. Excellent work. My name is Rachel Allen, and I'm Torchwood. Big Finish. We love stories.